Welcome to the Air Combat Simulation Podcast, brought to you by BVR Productions. Together with content creators, mission builders, experts, and enthusiasts, we explore the comprehensive world of combat aircraft simulation. Welcome everyone to episode 4 of the Air Combat Sim, I'm Baltic Dragon, and today uh, we have as uh, panel members, we have Goat and Redkite. Hello. Hello. And we have uh, Apache 600 and Sabre TLA uh, as our guests to talk with the this episode um, main topic, which is missions and campaigns, uh, DCS and probably not only DCS. Hi guys. How you doing everybody? Hey everyone. Uh, so we've, we've we've talked a little bit about the uh, third party or not only third third party modules, but we have all those nice aircraft, all those nice helicopters we're playing around in, and once we get to know them well, we want to jump uh, into some action and and uh, do something more meaningful with them, and that's where the missions and campaigns come to play, and so together with me there are three third party devs uh, in the room. And we'll talk about what it takes to make a good mission, what we think people expect from a good mission, and yeah, but let's see how it goes. So, guys, first, before we start, maybe tell a little bit about yourselves. Uh, sure, I'll, I guess I could take first. Uh, I was Apache 600, I normally just go by Apache. Uh, came to DCS back in 2014 or so. Military flying is always something I've wanted to do since a child, but being diagnosed with childhood asthma, um, flying in the military was never a viable option for me. Uh, thankfully, I was able to start a career in commercial aviation, which I'm currently flying an Airbus right now. So that's about the closest I can get. Uh, but I'm not going to complain at all. I love it. With uh, with DCS, though, like I said, that was the closest I could get um, to a dream that I always had. I really enjoy the simulator because it, it does the things that... Uh, you read about, you see in the movies. Your campaign that you have in DCS is a museum relic, right? That's correct. Uh, I, and thanks for sending me. I was able to, since I don't own uh, the Saber or or the MiG-15, I don't fly them, but I did get a copy from you to, to check it with MiG-19, and I have to say what I saw was really good. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate that. Thank you, Baltic. And then Saber, I mean, you, you're well-known for maple flag missions so you have a full long list of basic tra flag training and advanced aircraft training for a10 and also aggressive campaigns for what f8 18 and f5 and the f15 yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah i guess a little bit of my background then i've been a uh, in military sim since the late 80s uh started uh, at least in this area with the flanker and then lomac and then uh, got into dcs and i guess our, our missions kind of mimic my training i guess because when the a10 came along i really loved the a10 and uh, really got into it and uh, wanted to kind of come up with a set of missions that could prove my uh, my learning and i got a lot of good feedback from people about it so you know that kind of got us started and it was the same with the aggressors uh, great respect for the aggressor squadrons and, and what they do and uh, felt you know couldn't really just jump in a red flag campaign right away without having some BFM and ACM type experience. So that's kind of where our, our background came from. But 
but yeah, I've been simming a long time and uh, I never thought I'd get to a point with, with DCS where we've got, you know, like military grade simulators sitting in my office, you know, uh, that's high end. I remember playing Micropose Gunship. I think it was on a Commodore 64 or something like that. And the uh, stick figures, you know, and the mountains were like line drawings. So to me, DCS is just such a huge improvement. And of course, VR. Um, I made an A10 pit at one point uh, with working switches, and I had the uh, Lily put USB MFCDs and all of that. Helios was driving the gauges. And as soon as I got into VR, that was it. <laughs> I ripped all that stuff out. Still keeping all the switches, though, because you get that tactile feel in, in VR, which is pretty cool when you reach over and, you know, the gear shift is where you see it in VR and you're touching it. But, uh, but yeah, it's to me, this is a fantastic time to be simming, and DCS is just a fantastic product. I love it. Really, really committed and passionate to it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. But I agree that the VR is kind of killing the pits. Uh, that was, I never thought about building my own pit mm. because of that, since I have the VR. You um, got to try it. Yeah, you got to try it with VR with the real switches, though. It's freaking cool, man. I, I can't wait until they actually have the arms moving and you can see your hand reach for the switch and stuff. But when you feel it and you've got in VR, yeah. it's it's unreal. Yeah, it really is. So, My little workaround to that, I use an Oculus Rift S. You can remove the nose gap. Yeah, you can see so I have a I have a button box that holds my uh, HOTAS, and I have to look mm-hmm. down the, the bridge of my nose. But it, it, it works pretty well because... When I'm trying to learn something from Red Kite's video or Chuck's guide or whatnot, I like mm-hmm. to have the VR, but also have something on my lap that I can reference off of. And having that nose gap is pretty good. Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what I'd like to see more of in the in the game is the the knee boards uh, in VR. Like you can bring them up, but they're I'd say they're a little clunky. I think uh, the coolest thing I saw in the 18 though is the knee boards are coming up on your on your left hip. So you could zoom down in and, and look at it that way, which is kind of cool without having to have it pop up as a floating thing, you know, in mission. So I thought that was really neat. But uh, so, yeah. so you guys, um, do, I mean, do you, is it 90% VR or is it 95% or how do you split it or 100%? I'm probably, yeah, I'm about 60, 40, maybe 70, 30, um, like 70% VR for testing. But a lot of the design is done like at a design workstation for, for me. So I do all the design, you know, just with a regular monitor. But then when I'm testing, I'll, I'll definitely test it in VR just to make sure it looks okay and the frame rates are okay and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. I, I got to say, lately I've kind of been 10% VR, 90% screen just because of mm-hmm. the amount of time we spend in the mission editor. But on top mm-hmm. of that, I've also been trying to expand my knowledge base, learning the F-16 and the 18 and the, the JF-17. And I mm-hmm. find it just easier to learn uh, systems and like the the targeting pot or whatnot on a flat screen, so I can actually see what I'm referencing a little True. bit easier. Plus, you can have a printed checklist or something, or an iPad with a checklist on it, so you can reference that. Yeah, when I'm when we're learning the same thing. Yeah, we do the same thing when we're learning. We play flat screen and that. But I think also for the mission building, at least first two or three tries, you'll do on a flat screen because there are so many mm-hmm. things you have to note down that you need to adjust. It's, it's crazy. I know about you guys, but for me, I've, I've been doing it for a long time, but still mm-hmm. every time there's so many small mistakes or things I need to adjust, even if I think everything was done correctly, then it wouldn't be practical to do it in VR. Yeah, well, I absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah, you're doing a lot of uh, that test-repeat cycle and uh, using the uh, speed-up a lot to get through parts of the mission. 
And I, that's one of the frustrating parts is if you make a change right at the very end of the mission, you kind of have to apply the whole thing. And if it's an hour long mission, that's like one hour turnaround time every time you make a change, right? And it's like, oh, that didn't work. Okay, there's another hour, you know, depending on uh, on how your mission is done. But yeah. Yeah, that, that, I mean, those are technicalities that people probably will not mm. even want to get into uh, about those flags and yeah. how you can jump into the middle of mission instantly just to check some things. But this year's being this year, sometimes uh, one thing will work only after some other thing happens. So anyway, you have to fly the whole thing to just check if everything works as you want. Yeah. Do you guys put a lot of debug, like uh, F whatever, F10 commands in to kind of make things happen, to test sections of, uh, of code out? Do you do like that kind of debug at all or, or no? Yep, a lot. Continu continuously, yes. Continuously, yeah. Okay. I mean, you, you mean you've encountered any bugs in, in the past in TCS? No, I mean, when you're testing like some part of changes you made in your mission to want to prove that it works, you might not have to, you know, you could set something up in the radio menu so you can just trigger it without having to do all the parts in the mission that might make it happen. That, that's what I meant. Yeah, sure, sure. Joking. Bugs in DCS, yeah, well. <laughs> What's the right. about that? It's a software product. There's always going to be bugs, right? So yeah. it's a matter of how bad they are. We may have wandered off a little bit to what Saber was saying about using the F10 menu to skip ahead in your mission uh, mm. falsely, so to speak, is, yeah, I will have it where I'll have uh, radio commands to trigger things that I'm not actually triggering with my aircraft, but just to test right. to see if it works further down the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, okay, but going back to, coming back to the, our main topic is um, I would before asking about the whole process, uh, I'd like to ask you, what do you guys think is the good mission? What does it need to have? Or when is it compelling for you? What should it have? Well, I think it depends on a, a couple of things. Uh, who is your target audience is the biggest question. Um, are you making this for a single player? Are you making it for a small multiplayer group or a large one? That will totally drive the direction of which you're going. Yeah, I agree with Apache. I think it, I think I think it's a story, right? You want to tell a story, and uh, I think uh, like your campaign Apache was very much you know story based, right? Which is really good. Mine are more training focused, but I think you're right. It's it's really trying to uh, to identify what 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 message are you trying to give, and then you know there's a lot of rules I'd say around or maybe guidelines around how you achieve that, right? Like you don't want the mission to be too long because some people can't play for six hours, you know. Um, you don't want too many units in the mission because then the people with poor systems can't play it because the FPS drops. So there's a whole bunch of things around that. But it, to me, it's really around the story and, and as Apache said, the audience, right? Who are you trying to, to talk to, right? Like Navy campaigns to me are going to be very, uh, have a certain lingo to them and everything else just because they're appealing to the Navy crowd, right? As opposed to the Air Force crowd or helicopter crowd or, you know, whoever even combined arms. I haven't seen enough campaigns in combined arms yet to me so that i think is a an area that needs to be explored more but it is a you know com digital combat simulator and i saw recently that submarines can actually dive now too and uh, which is kind of cool so uh, maybe we'll even see some underwater warfare at some point they can dive now i missed that that's cool yeah there's a video that somebody put up uh, recently on that uh, was the uh, grim reapers had one and it was a kilo i think and it was attacking a couple of destroyers and it actually dove and you could see a little periscope pop up and that it was very cool that is cool yeah so it's coming like all that stuff to me is is, is very uh, exciting to see how it's continuing to evolve 
the submarines have a depth parameter like aircraft have an altitude parameter so you can command them to go up oh. and down at will i think that it's in preparation cool. for the u-boats and world war ii because that's where it will be quite important because mm -hmm. they will submerge and surface quite a lot so you can imagine mm -hmm. say taking the mosquito and doing an anti-submarine mission with the yeah, uh, channel yeah. map with the sub diving while you're trying to bomb it yeah it'd be very interesting wow. uh, you guys are talking about that and my mind is just going through the how oh, great i'm going to run every submarine into the <laughs> ground and beach it and <laughs> <laughs> more bugging and more tests to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be fantastic. Just, just straight up through the, <laughs> through the middle of it. Yeah. But getting back to what Baltic said about a good mission, uh, yeah, I think it's a, there's a number of things involved, right? I mean, I think you want it to be realistic and immersive for sure. Um, though there are people that like shooting down UFOs, you know, for example, and things like that. But uh, I think. Uh, I think got an element of realism to it. Like Ranger got a lot of support for his campaigns because I think he did a really good job at making them feel really, um, you know, uh, realistic, right? I think people that are into military sims like that realism, you know, at least for me, that's what I like. I like, you know, things to SOP and, and uh, you know, things that are very uh, realistic. And I think, I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there, Saber. I think a lot of people really do like the realism. I mm -hmm. enjoy it. I think I went a complete other direction and made a, a total hypothetical fantasy thing, which I think there is a a niche for as well. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, and you had a great story, Apache. Like your storyline was excellent, right? So that I think tells a lot. Just like a book, right? You can have a any kind of, of story, but as long as it's uh, you can draw the reader in and, and or the player in, and it's exciting and there's lots for them to do, you know. Yeah. When we when we create missions as well, I think there's, um, well actually, Saber, do you uh, do, have you done any multiplayer stuff? Yeah, I did. Uh, I I got to play with the one thirty second for a short time as a JTAC. I think I did one one mission with them. It was very cool. They were really, uh, I guess you could say, hardcore in the sense that uh, the procedures and everything. Uh, then I had an opportunity to play with the Stingers with Jar and, and that team for a while, and uh, that was a great fun. Uh, Jar runs a perfect. Uh, Great squad there. Nothing but kudos to him and his team there. Um, but my, like you, I think you said early on, Apache, your internet was bad. Mine's the same. I live in rural Canada, so the internet's kind of crappy for me. So multiplayer, I get a lot of lag and things like that. You know, but once in a while, I'll jump on a server just to try it and see. I've been on the 104th and a few others just to give it a try. But uh, yeah, I think we're dedicated to single player just because of our internet. I see. I think uh, with in Atlanta the um the internet connection is not too bad. So I can mm. thankfully do some multiplayer stuff without too many hiccups. Um, but when when starting a creation of a mission, obviously the first question is, are, are we creating a mission for a campaign? Are we creating a mm. single-player mission? Or are we going multiplayer? Um, with the multiplayer missions, the way that I curtail mine when I make those is I want to make them relaxing. Um, I know that there's a lot of guys that like SOP, that like, mm -hmm. you know, you depart from the carrier at 500 feet until you're five miles, then you can, you know, climb your cruising. Uh, I, I, follow, I follow enough stars and SIDs and, and routes in my normal job. I kind of don't want to do that when I'm playing a game. Yeah. So my multiplayer missions, I try and just make relaxing and straightforward. But I think my biggest, um, my biggest thing is when I jump into a server, and there's a multiplayer mission going on, and there's not 
a direction in which everybody knows which, which way they're going. Um, I like it when it's easy to understand and easy to find the objective and understand what you're doing once you get in. I think that's one of the most disconnecting things for me is I jump in, people are doing their own thing and there's no guidance, there's no briefing mm -hmm. pages, there's no knee boards telling you what you need to do. And I think that's a big thing with the creator of a mission to make it so that the mission is playable without the person who made it having to be in the mission explaining what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree. I think there's a big barrier uh, for a lot of players in multiplayer that, you know, while there's different crowds of people too, right? There are those that just want to jump in and blow stuff up. And then there are those that kind of want to do the full mission suite, you know, from briefing to take off land and then, you know, post brief. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I think the barrier there, if, you jump on a server and it's hard to figure out what you're supposed to be doing and then you know five minutes in you get shot down and you don't even know what happened yeah. you know and things like that then it's kind of frustrating right so that, again, the whole experience right it's the question whether you create a sandbox which is more difficult in a way and it's more difficult to get people engaged in the way you want them to or do a co-op mission that there's everything is set to do it for a squadron mm -hmm. or whatever so i think these are the differences but yeah multiplayer is a whole Different, different theory, I think. And um, brings me to the question: what, what do you think, guys, will happen? Will the multiplayer campaigns become a reality? So, just I know, changing the single player ones to multiplayer. Do you think it will happen? Uh, I well, I'm you and I are familiar with this, as I assume Saber is as well. But until Eagle Dynamics can figure out protection, it won't mm. happen. Not, not a straight, yeah, I agree, not a straight copy of a paid campaign because you'd, you'd just be giving everything away, right? So I agree with that. Um, but to go to Baltic's question, though, do you think there'll be multiplayer contains? I can see that because I could see where uh, a multiplayer server would run and maybe they have a mission that runs every hour and that, you know, at the end of the hour, especially when the dynamic uh, campaign capability comes along, you know, that the next hour's mission is a follow-on from the previous hour's mission, if you know what I mean, right? So you get that dynamic stuff and you could jump in and out you know as a player and the whole war could have evolved you know from where you were at one o'clock to six o'clock you know and things like that because the server is just cranking out this dynamic campaign you know hour after hour after hour or something like that right i don't i, I don't know what the limit is on multiplayer uh, missions right now like can you have one mission that lasts for i don't know 10 hours or a day or something like that I, i've never i don't think the, the server can stay up that long right do we have missions like that, you know? I think most servers will run for about three hours before they reset. Before three hours, yeah, okay. Yeah. So they'll, so they'll okay. run their objectives, and then they'll reset the map and reload the objectives, and then they'd go again for three hours with some new weather. So if the dynamic campaign comes along where, you know, you can save the results of the previous mission, so to speak, then effectively you could have, you know, three three-hour segments for a nine-hour campaign and have different things happening each time, right? Potentially, I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how the dynamic campaign thing. It just is a quick question: is is um, and again, being somewhat of a newbie, why why do the uh, servers reboot as often as they do? Is it just because of uh, it'll crash eventually? Memory leak, maybe. Yeah, I think it's just DCS will eventually crash, so they'd prefer to give it a composed end rather than a sudden unexplained ending. As, yeah. uh, especially with some yeah. of the recent updates, you get memory leaks and other quirks, and things start to break down, or the scripts stop happening, or the um, the units on the map start to run out, and you can't spawn anymore because of the way the uh, unit spawning can work sometimes. 
I think an issue with that too is you cannot despawn a destroyed unit, so the battlefield just becomes absolutely cluttered. Cluttered, yeah. I think we'll go back to the dynamic campaign a bit later because that's a mm-hmm. big topic in itself. But let's let's finish on the single player now. Uh, mm-hmm. Just wanted to ask you guys how do you how do you get started when conceptualizing the mission or coming up with ideas or the campaign? Where does it start? Do you do the whole thing so you have the whole thing planned and you know how many missions, what will happen in which one, or you develop it as you go? Well, I guess for me, uh, we actually drop a, de- a development document, and uh, I guess we start with a concept. Um, it might come from a book, like we have a lot of the Osprey Combat series books, so we get a lot of uh, inspiration from some of the stories in there. Um, you know, so we'll come up with a concept and we'll we'll float it to Ed, and then we'll do a development document that details. You know, well, here's the mission set that we think you know can fit that concept. And then, you know, if we get the approval from from Matt or whoever, then you know we'll start working on it and uh, and that kind of thing. So I guess it's kind of a, it's kind of an organic thing too, I guess, because once you've, we've laid out our dev document, we start working on it, things can change, right? You start developing and you go, oh, we can't really do what we thought we could do, you know. So we have to change it a bit. But in the essence of trying to keep within that concept, but yeah, the concepts come from all over. I mean, movies, uh, lots of books, I'd say, you know. And now a lot of research on the internet. There's tons of stuff now. So yeah, that's that's kind of where we get our inspiration from. You're you're saying we. So as a maple maple flag flag, how how many people do you have working on those missions? Oh well, I guess I'm the chief developer. Um, but I've got uh, oh god, I can't. I mean, if I add up all the people that are involved, it's quite a large list because we have uh, voice recording artists all around the world. My uh, my video teaser guy is in South Korea. Um. Testers, um, yeah. It's, no, but talking about the core team, of course, uh, voice actors and all that, that's lots of people from the community. Probably just myself for the most part doing the uh, the design because I like to control that part of it. So I don't know how many people you guys work with. I know that a lot of um, people look for volunteers for voiceovers and things like that. So, Sabre, do you have people that will set up like the base work of a mission, and then you go and critique it and fine tune it, or how do you go about creating uh, creating one of your missions? No, I usually I usually start it myself. I create a template, and then uh, I try to reuse that template as much as I can. Well, uh, as development, I'm doing a lot of testing. Yeah, I don't want to release a mission unless I know I can pass it myself. So that's kind of my own litmus <laughs> test. Um, but then uh, once it's getting a little more confirmed I'll, I'll take it out to, to some other testers to see if they can try it and see you know it, what they can find in it but uh, and to get some feedback but it's pretty much in-house for the most part I'd say yeah I'm trying try not to uh, well until we know it's officially going to get released we don't we don't advertise a lot as you probably noticed we kind of just kind of come out and say oh it's ready you know here it is here's the teaser video for it and that kind of thing but but yeah it's been an excellent experience I have to admit and working with people all around the world, which is something I never really experienced before. You know, most of the jobs I've had, I've well, worked with a team, but we were all in an office and everything was kind of co-located. You know, we might have had one team somewhere else, but uh, this this kind of uh, development and hobby is is like worldwide, right? So, I think it's a good moment to give a sh- shout out to the whole community because without mm-hmm. community, those missions would have never existed. Even the voiceovers. I mean, if you just look at the prices of a Normal act voice actors that mm-hmm. charge for that uh, probably there will be no DLCs. 
but the community is incredible. There's lots of people who volunteer, they do a lot. Uh, there are lots of subject matter experts that help with, with research and all that stuff. So the, the DCS community is just great. It's a passionate community. That's what I find. People are very passionate about it, and that's really nice to see, you know, and uh, and they're committed and, and helpful and, yeah, all of that. It's it's huge. Great, great help in the community. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think there's a lot of uh, selfless people that will happily devote and volunteer time. Mm -hmm. uh, for the people that have... Uh, done voiceovers for my missions and campaigns. I can't thank them enough. It's been uh, uh, an absolute huge help. Mm -hmm. yeah. With uh, with Museum Relic, um, I don't have the <laughs> templates or books or anything that, that Saber was referring to. I, uh, I kind of just went off of uh, um, the whole fantasy thing. When I was a child, I would bring a, a, a box of Legos, some uh, fireworks, and my dad's old camcorder to the uh the sandbox and shoot my own little videos of destruction and mayhem and and whatnot and when i started creating muse museum relic it kind of felt like i was being able to be the director of my own movie again that's cool yeah. um as i went through building the museum relic uh i had i had about six or seven missions that i, I clumped together and i sent out to a couple of people to have them test it and everybody responded saying they really enjoyed it and they wanted more. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the MiG-15 and the F-86, they were pretty new to DCS and they didn't have any content. So that's when I thought, you know, hey, maybe, maybe I can create some content. But I never really had the mindset of taking it to the point where it got. Mm -hmm. So after creating a whole ton of missions, stringing them together, finding a story that fit why a MiG-15 or an F-86 would even be taking place in a modern battle, battlefield, um, it, it started evolving into something that I, I was actually quite excited about. Uh, the first versions of it were myself doing all the voiceovers, and I got really sick of listening to myself all the time. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I went to the community, as Baltic Dragon was saying earlier about how the community is just fantastic, and people were happy to volunteer. Um, and I was able to uh, to incorporate their voices into uh, into the game. Even even my wife volunteered. She's the helicopter pilot in some of the missions. <laughs> um, but that's how that's how Museum Relic went. And I kind of I kind of did the story as I went along. I had an I had an idea of how I wanted it to end. But a lot of the middle of the missions in the middle of the campaign were kind of you know what can I do that might be unique that the player would enjoy, that doesn't really push the limits to uh, a difficulty in which it's frustrating, but something that's fun enough and enjoyable enough and that's, that, that uh, is rewarding. Um, and I've only got the one campaign. Geez, Saber, I think you've got what, like seven or eight? In Baltic, you've got four or five. So I'm certainly bringing up the tail end of, of the, the supply of content, but I, I will say I've got, a, I've got a second one I'm working on but when I started the second one, I actually haven't even designed a single mission for it yet. I've just been doing nothing but story writing. And after the release of Museum Relic, I had a lot of people that were uh, that said that they really enjoyed the story. And I thought that, well, if I make another one, I'm going to put a lot of effort, a lot of time into a story. Because like I said, that's, that's a way that I can kind of be a director, something that I, I always enjoyed doing as a kid. Uh, and, and storytelling. So, like I said, it's not. It, it certainly isn't anything SOP or 
uh, the military lingo or anything. I just I go a different direction with my stuff. I think that's brilliant, though, to be honest, Apache. And the reason was, I think a lot of them are in their own movie. And when you give them a vehicle like that with a storyline that they can relate to and, and be the hero or, or whatever, be the star, I think that's fantastic. I think that's why people like hero movies. I think that's why you know people like to read books that have really good storylines. And I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a brilliant way to do do campaigns is, is tell a story where the player is actively involved and contributing and gets a lot out of it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to your next campaign. That'll be very exciting to see. It brings a lot of limitations as well. I mean, this, I'm talking about Mission Editor and DCS uh, mm. itself. And this is what I noticed when I'm working on the Raven 1 campaign with, with two former pilots. It's just incredible to have the script that you write being uh, screened and, and updated by people who really did it and, and did it. Like, both have more than 3,000 hours in, in the F-18. But on the other hand, it's it's kind of a bit intimidating because, um, you know, the fighter pilots are very uh, well. They they they, have, they pay a lot of attention to even smallest details, mm-hmm. and also they usually they don't really know the limitations of the DCS itself, uh, and it, it's a very interesting process to kind of finding the middle ground between the realism and what they want to see in the script and what we can deliver in the DCS. And that brings me to another question. How do you rate the editor? How do you rate the possibilities it gives you? And and uh, do you know any, I mean, what do you do to sometimes push the limits? Oh, boy. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go first, Apache. If you <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that mode of you first, I think. All right. Uh, let me think. Let, let me just uh, do. You, for instance, do you use scripts like Lua scripting, or you just use the triggers that are in the mission editor? Sure thing. So with with the museum relic, I use only mission editor uh, available options. With most of the multiplayer missions that I make, I again use almost all mission editor only options. I do have a few scripts that I use just for like lacing a target or maybe doing a uh, an air respawn for an enemy AI or a tanker uh, uh, script. But I will be the first to admit I have zero knowledge of coding. And scripts are kind of scary because they require a lot of coding. If something goes wrong, I have no idea how to fix the, sk- uh, the script. But I do understand the mission editor, and that's why I kind of rely on that more than any script. 100% support from my side. It's ex- exactly what I'm doing, too. Yeah, I'm in the same same boat. Uh, I mean, I've got a programmer background, so the Lua scripting is, is something I could, I could do, and I understand, you know, Moose and, and Mist. To some degree, I haven't actually... Uh, used any of that stuff yet though but uh, like the ctld script is pretty cool for helicopters where you can pick up cargo and people and things but i agree i think from a, from at least from a commercial perspective um having a dependency on a script that isn't fully or officially supported by it is, is kind of risky because if, if uh, there ever is a problem and you're trying to support your product and that person who wrote that script is no longer supporting it or whatever uh then it's on you to try and fix it right so yeah, yeah. Like you guys, I'm relying on, if it's in Ed's mission editor, it uh, will definitely use it. And I think Ed's committed to to making the mission editor better. I think it's pretty good compared to some of the others. Uh, like I did missions in IL-2 for a while and uh, a few other games there. And uh, I think I think this one's pretty detailed. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with it. Um, 
yeah, I think, you know, could it be better? Sure. But uh, it, it certainly can do a lot of the basic stuff that you want to do, right? But it's also amazing. I noticed that if you think out of the box, how many things you can achieve if you just do, do them differently sometimes that they are uh, kind of, well designed to, let's say. And usually there are two or three ways to get the same result. And some of them work, some of them don't. Uh, on purpose or not, that, that depends. It's different with the mission editor. editor. But for instance, uh, look at the flag or, or the, the AAA, I mean, or flag, not AAA. Mm-hmm. You can use the ones from the World War II, um, which don't really work well with the fast-moving jets, at least the ones that we have there. But if you just use the explosions in zone at certain altitudes, you get a very nice result. Of course, there's a lot of work and putting everything manually, but, but you can get what you need uh, just by, by being creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, I think they've done a lot to uh, to make the editor you know pretty good. It's intimidating to a lot of people when they first get into it, though. And I think I learn something new about it every time we do a mission. Just we try something different and go, oh look, you know, this is something that we haven't tried before. You know, and uh, you, you can keep this on or off the record, but I think I might have just learned something new right now just listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you can set explosions at altitudes. Yeah, of course. But in, it's, it's in meters. It's not in feet. Yeah, everything's in meters. Yeah. Okay. And once you do that, and then you just uh, add a random random flag from 1 to 100, and you put, I don't know, 100 different zones, so you can every second have a random explosion at random altitude in random zone. And you have a nice flag. With With that bit of knowledge right there, my mind is already diving into scenarios in which I can use that uh, what you just told me about Baltic for some kind of you know visual thing in a mission. But the gears are already turning, and huh, how can I implement that? Mm, exactly, <laughs> that's how it works. I mean, for me, the fu- funny story probably is where lots of ideas for my missions came is uh, when I had three kids, almost one after another, and I spent lots of sleepless nights with one, two, or three of them. And just when trying to put them to sleep, I had lots of time to think. And that's where the best part of the enemy within 3.0 got come to being, in a way. I, I got two kids, and I had no time for DCS because I'm just knee-deep in dirty diapers and Lord knows what. So good on you, Baltic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm so provisioned because my daughter uh, just got married uh, in 2015 and just had her first kid. So... I'm almost. Uh, I'm a grandpa now. So. Hey, congratulations! Oh, yeah, congrats! Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, so I'm hoping to retire soon so I can do uh, full time on DCS campaign development. That would be my dream job. So, yeah, yes, right now it's just you. a hobby, but it's uh, yeah, yeah. yeah Sabre, you, you you talked about the editor and how intimidating it can be for some people, but then again, there are lots of people who are not third party devs, but they do it. I just checked before before we joined uh, numbers of user files. So in the this the add user files section, you have 1,192 single missions available, 227 campaigns, and 612 multiplayer missions, which means there's lots of people who are actually using that. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised there aren't more uh, of those developers actually approaching Ed. I know Nineline put out a, a forum post about asking for more campaigns from people, you know, because I think uh, I think there are some very, very good campaign developers now that could be pushing commercial product and 
and helping Ed with revenue and that. And uh, I'm surprised that more of them aren't trying to do that. But maybe maybe they're worried about the long-term commitment. Maybe they're worried about the licensing and copyright and you know all those kind of things that commercial people have to worry about. But uh, you know, I'd recommend go for it because uh, if it's your passion and you love it, then it's not work, right? <laughs> it's yeah, just fun absolutely. time all the time. Even if I'm testing the same trigger a million times, it's still fun trying to break it or whatever, right? So, absolutely. yeah. We'll, we'll put but the you're right, there's to... tons of good good developers out there and people with lots of great ideas and uh, all over the gambit. So, yeah, I, I encourage people to get their stuff yeah. out there. You know, it's good. I, I think good we should hobby. put the link to, to Nine Lines post in, in the uh, notes. And yeah, I would also encourage people if you, I mean, it takes time. It takes time to build missions. It takes time to troubleshoot them afterwards, but it's really worth every minute. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the, uh, just the feeling of, of really having good feedback and, and doing something nice. Which yeah, it's passion. Yeah, your passion. That's great. I will say one of the things that is the, the best feeling in the world is you make a mission or a campaign or whatnot, and you receive, I mean, you see, you receive both sides of it. You receive good feedback and bad feedback. You got to take it all, the, you know, the bad feedback mm-hmm. as it comes. But when you get comments that say, "Hey, this is this is the most fun I've had playing a video game in in fourteen mm-hmm. years or something," it's <laughs> it really makes the nights that you spend the hours and hours and hours of testing triggers that just don't want to fire properly or AI that do something just wonky, it makes it worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, uh, just to give a shout out to one of the guys I, I saw. So when talking about people who are not now third-party developers, but are doing a great job in, in terms of campaigns and missions, the one person I'd like to really point to is Sedlo and his campaigns for Harrier and I think F-18 too are, mm-hmm. um, are really good. There's a, a second one I'd like to add to that one, which is, uh, I think his name's Cabellum. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it entirely right, but he's done the Cage the Bear campaigns for the F-14 Tomcat. They were recently introduced into the module itself. And that included a, a multiplayer variant, which came out quite recently. And those have been really good um, missions to play for, especially if you're doing a multiplayer with your own, uh, own Rio. Fantastic. I can't, I, I would, that would be amazing um, if you would be able to some, uh, make something that would be you know, publishably, publishable quality. I'm sure that I, I haven't played the one yet because I'm not really versed yet in the F-14, but to have a campaign in which you have a dedicated Rio and a front seater, that would be game changing. I think that's kind of plea to the third party devs because it's all in their hands. Uh, what they would probably have to contract someone to do the campaign for them. For it's them also already. quite difficult because of the multiplayer uh, limitation. You can't have the protection on it, so it can't be a paid product. Like I know the Tomcat campaigns should be multiplayer when they come out because they'll have no protection because they're but they're part of the module, so it shouldn't be too much of a problem for them. But okay. if you're doing it as a standalone product, then it does become a big issue. No, but that's why I'm saying third-party developers for the modules, so for uh, Hitler, Rasbom, etc. Oh, like your situation where you have it with uh, the uh, the Mirage and and whatnot in the MIG. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why I, I I did some the recent campaign in Persian Gulf, which I also released now as a multiplayer version, because it's it's easier because it's not protected. And that's I think one of the hiccups with having a a, a third party non associated multiplayer campaign because of that protection issue, in which you can't protect the mission files because once somebody plays it, they have the track file. You can turn that into a mission file, and now you've got unlimited access to it. Yeah, but having said that, I remember someone found a way to play the 
protected campaign in his multiplayer. I think he even contacted Ed, but I don't know what came out of it. Probably wasn't that interesting or that safe. I don't know. But there were attempts. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think that Ed could produce some really good, you know, uh, commercial quality multiplayer campaigns and do it as a cost of sales. And what I mean by that is, like, they don't charge it as a, like, a paid product for it because we know that once it's released, you know, anybody can copy it and, and run it anywhere. But if they did it as part of a, uh, you know, a, a cost of sales, I guess is the way I'd describe it, you know, as kind of a lost leader to get people uh, interested in a particular module and things like that, because, you know, they could still hire the third party to do the work and, and pay them appropriately or whatever. But, uh, you know, they, uh, it, it could be a, a lost leader for them to get more, uh, more revenue in on the, on the module sale, for example, right? Because that's one of the complaints a lot of people say, right? They get this new module. Where's the campaign for it? There's exactly. no campaign. And maybe there's just a few missions, like three or four missions for it or something like that. Whereas I think if they had a module, a new module come out and they really wanted to showcase it, hire a third-party dev to, to do it. Or, or maybe some of us would do it, you know, just as a, on a pro bono or whatever, you know, like lawyers do and, uh, and get something out there to really promote that module and, and drive the sales right could be part of the whole product package as opposed to just here's the module right and let the community come up with a bunch of stuff you know I yeah know. absolutely i mean I, I, i've had people and i don't want to kind of uh, exaggerate or something but i had people saying that they bought a module like let's say mirage because they played the enemy within and they saw that there was a campaign done yeah. for that module so i think some people will look at it before committing to to, to an airplane for 60 or 70 bucks yeah, if you look at the old flight sims that we used to buy, right, um, where they were standalone on a CD, you know, you wouldn't be able to download missions or anything, but everything was kind of self-contained on it, right? And exactly. uh, and that had enough enough content with it that people would would refine with just that, right? And it wasn't until uh, you know they made a mission editor available and things like that that it really changed, and and you know people could drive their own content, right? So you know, but of, of those all those millions of missions out there right some are really good and then some are not so good and yeah you can't really tell right and you don't really want to play all a thousand missions to figure out which are the good <laughs> ones and which ones aren't right so there is the user rating i think which uh, they had for a while which helped to uh, you know kind of weed, weed things out but uh you know i think it's a, I, I do think it's an interesting you know just from a training standpoint i mean uh it, it, what a great tool mm. so even if, for example uh you know whether i'm if I'm watching a uh, a mission and then it's made available for me to uh, download and then try it, um, because that way, you know, that's a great opportunity for me to learn uh, more about the aircraft, right? And mm -hmm. so it's always it's always the ramp, right? It's always trying to continue to get better at at mastering the aircraft. And I think the you know the missions and the training, all that comes together. So downloading downloading the module, buying the module is just part of it. But mm -hmm. then I think there's this big gap between how do you go from I bought it to becoming proficient. Mm -hmm. I think each model need, needs to have training. It's as requirement. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are different trainings and different ways that are, they have been done. Some of them are videos still, I think mostly for F FC3 aircraft, if I remember correctly. But I mean, to be honest, there's really a lot of need and there are not enough developers i guess i'm talking about campaign developers or mission developers to feel that that's what i feel yeah and i, I guess just to qualify what i would say and it's like yes there's always sometimes there's going to be more training than others 
And that's where I think when I look at the work that you guys do, um, that it's absolutely fantastic because it, it takes you, it threads the needle in terms of trying to need to do the things with the aircraft, which actually drives you to learn some of the skills. So there's my two sons. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that for sure. I think, uh, well, when the A-10 came out, there was a lot of good uh, training missions that were provided by Ed with it, right? So when we wanted to do our qualification campaigns, we we didn't want to repeat that, right? We didn't want to just say, well, you know, they've already shown you how to land and that kind of thing. We wanted to actually test it, right? We wanted to put in some real world checks, you know, using altitude triggers and speed triggers and things like that to and give the user feedback to say, hey, yeah, you're flying as per USAF spec, you know, <laughs> instead yeah. of uh, just whatever. And, and, and yeah, we had a lot of great success with that. And a lot of people have learned a lot from, from those campaigns just to appreciate that. And we kind of did them just for our own, you know, to start with, just to see if we could prove it, right? Could we pass, you know, effectively what would be the, 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 the qualification? But nowhere near are our campaigns like the real thing, you know? <laughs> I'd have to, uh, yeah, we'd have to get a real USAF pilot to come in and, and talk about it. I'm sure half the stuff we've done in there isn't isn't really legit, but it's based on all the stuff we could find online and the books that we've had and things like that. And I think it did a pretty good job at it and, uh, you know, a lot of good feedback from people on that. But I agree with you there. There's this kind of a gap between you get the module and you get a checklist and you get, and then what do you do, right? <laughs> you know, and having some really good training missions to kind of walk you through the whole thing is, is really important. So, well, Then coming back again a little bit, because uh, I'd really like to try and encourage people to, to look more into Mission Editor. Uh, what would you guys recommend for the newbies who want to? They have ideas. They, have, they really want to do something, but they're just intimidated by the sheer number of options, triggers, and whatnot in the Mission Editor. What would you tell them or what would you advise them to? Where to start? I think the mission editor is, just as an aircraft, it is a steep learning curve. Um, my recommendation is you have a huge idea. If you go for that huge idea right away, it's probably not going to work. You've got to start small, work on the small details first, and then just build off of that. When I learned mission, uh, when I learned, uh, mission editor, Oh my goodness, I, I looked back the other day at one of the first missions that I, I designed and it's it's laughable. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> the inefficiency Same. In it. <laughs> yeah, like um, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you learn as you go, start small, find a mission that you enjoy, download it, and then open it up in the mission editor and just go through each trigger and see how things work, see how it ticks. It's daunting because sometimes they're like some of the missions that I make have a thousand plus triggers in it. So maybe not pick one of those, but um, find a simple mission and, and go from there. But I will say, you know, how, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Just take a little bit here and there and don't try and do it all at once. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Apache. I think you got to start small. I think uh, what's helped us in some of our missions because we use so many. To, to control different things is to kind of keep a list of the ones that you're using in the mission and what they're for as a reference. Uh, at one point, we even documented all the uh, all the different trigger um, parameters for all the A10 uh, switches and everything else. You know, I think there was stuff we found online and, and a bunch of other stuff, but we basically kind of ended up writing our own doc that you know told us what each of these things did and how to use it and that kind of thing. So yeah, I would say start small, uh, as Apache said, and 
try and do simple things to start with. And then as you get comfortable with the simple things, then you can start to combine them together to make you know more complex things happen. Um, I think the, the biggest frustration to me right now is with the AI. I know Ed's working on it and kudos for that, but I find sometimes it's just not predictable. You know, you'll, you'll get it working uh, one way and then you'll try the exact same mission without any changes and it'll do something completely different sometimes. I mean, you know, from a programmer's background perspective, it's like, why is it doing that? It shouldn't, right? It should be consistently doing what you expect it to do. And, and sometimes it just does weird stuff and uh, hopefully they'll get all that sorted soon. But yeah, I, I think uh, just working slowly at it. And like you said, it's a, it's a learning curve. It's like anything else, right? You start and you, over time you get better. And yeah, some of our first <laughs> missions were pretty laughable as well, mm-hmm. looking at them now, you know. So. Yeah, I remember my first enemy within that was, I think it was with text to speech for voiceovers that was yeah oh, i won't go back to that but anyway my my three cents or two cents i'd like to add is uh, also just use the for, uh, ed forums and ask people there's this mm. special section for mission editor and no matter what kind of question you have just post it uh, someone either will direct you somewhere or just answer because people in the community are, are usually very very helpful i couldn't agree more and uh what baltic had said earlier too is if you post a question and you see two or three different responses, well, each of those each of those responses may work because there are sometimes three or four ways to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The forum is excellent for for getting answers, and people are very helpful, uh, uh, you know, for that kind of stuff, which is which is great to see too. That's again the strength of the community, right? Willing to step in and help. I think one of the hard concepts to catch. Uh, is when you first open that multiplayer, or I'm sorry, when you first open Mission Editor and you look at what conditions, what triggers, what actions, all that stuff, and you come across flag. That was one of the things that when I first started, I had no idea what a flag was. So I would make all my missions not having to involve flags. But once you start wanting to do anything complex, flags are the most necessary thing ever. So if it takes an hour or so to understand what a flag is just go in and experiment that's the best way to do it is just if you don't quite understand it well set up you know just to have an airplane fly a 20 mile straight line have it go through trigger points and just see how a flag can affect certain different things because that will really change what you can do with mission editing is once you understand that uh, that aspect of it yeah, I remember programming in Lomac and uh, back at that time, and I don't even think they had or conditions, right? So everything was a was an and condition. So you know, so leading to your comment there about flags, a bit about uh, and and or type conditions too. If you want to do certain things, right? If this flag is set and this flag is not set, or this flag is set and this flag, you know, is is set something else, then then yeah, definitely uh, understanding the logic behind how these things work. You know, but it is, uh, yeah, when you look at all the stuff in there, it can be intimidating with all the different types of triggers and conditions. And uh, I think just recently they had an issue with the start, mission start trigger, right? It, it was it changed recently and it's doing something different now. So, well, that's funny you yeah. say that. I, I've avoided using that mission start because I just figured there might be an issue with it. I always, mm-hmm. I will always have it so that, you know, time is yeah. greater than one and then something yeah. fires because mission start just kind of seemed like it was something that well, I don't quite understand what it's looking at or when that fires exactly. Yeah, I think the intent was for it to do a bunch of activities or things, you know, prior to uh, 
prior to mission actually starting, right? Which is kind of strange, but uh, yeah, I've never used it either. I've always done the time since flag to, uh, to do that. And then on top of that, you have the waypoint zero uh, triggers, which is mm -hmm. a completely different thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's lots of things uh, <laughs> to cover there. And it's, it's getting pretty technical, I think, for the people that don't really use the mission editor. I mean, uh, yeah. those differences. Uh, what I wanted to ask you is, uh, do you, because I do, the, the most clicked button in the in the whole menu of the DCS is Mission Editor. That's all where I almost always start whenever I launch DCS. And the second question related to that is, do you still treat DCS as good fun or do you play some other games just to get away from DCS from time to time? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm guilty. I'll, I'll open up um, DCS with an intent to fly with some friends and I immediately click Mission Editor, and then yeah. they ask, why haven't I joined yet? And I was like, ah, oh, because Mission Editor's loading. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it, it's even worse when I open a mission in Mission Editor and then go, wait, oh, this isn't multiplayer. What am I doing? Uh, but, yeah, to step, to step away from Mission Editor sometimes, because, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I get pulled into it. Um, unfortunately, I don't really have too much time with other games with uh with the one-year-old and three-year-old but if and when i do I'll, I'll sometimes jump into something with like like kerbal space program or uh or company of heroes 2 just something that's mindless that's that's kind of fun to do um yeah i was just gonna say likewise i, I probably don't always click the mission editor. probably it's a, a lot but uh sometimes i'll just you know try a mission just to try it or just want to go for a free flight or or whatever um but to get away from dcs sometimes yeah i play call of duty and uh What's the other one? There, uh, well, I used to play Half Life. But that's pretty old now. I'm waiting for the next Half Life to come out. But, uh, but yeah, Call of Duty is probably my next favorite uh, video game to be playing. So Hark on something Saber just said. How he he'll sometimes click something just to do a free flight. I'll click on Mission Editor to do the free flight. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that power you want, where you want, and off you go. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I discovered Star Citizen recently, and it's good fun ah, to get away from uh, from DCS. But uh, coming back to the editor, one more thing I wanted to ask you is, um, well, having campaigns out, and of course it's more difficult for, for Sabre, because you have the biggest number of, of campaigns, I think, available. How much time do you then spend... Uh, Bug fixing or updating them to to get along with all the new updates of DCS. Well, I guess for us, yeah, we're always watching, certainly on the big updates like two five six. You know, changed a lot of uh, runway positions and or ramp positions and that. So we have to go in and retest those. But uh, I'd say we're always kind of tweaking it. We're watching for feedback from people to try and see how we can make them better. Um, I know uh, FPS uh, is a problem right now in our F-18 campaign because of being on Nellis. And I think we're finding that uh, just the positioning of where the aircraft is on the ramp and it's looking down the ramp. And I think that's contributing to the FPS because we've done some testing. We've moved the, the parking spot and the FPS went up. So we didn't change anything else in the mission, just the way it was positioned on the, on the ramp. And we see a, a bit of an improvement. So, you know, hopefully it'll get that sorted. But uh yeah, I would say uh, we're always keeping an eye on it. Um, it's a hobby for us, so it's evenings and weekends, you know, for me to play on it and that. And uh, of course, when I get other people involved, you know, we have to get it scheduled and that kind of thing. But 
but yeah, Does, you know, after the big updates, we're always busy, you know, getting things sorted. I think uh, Reflected just said he had 50 missions to update after 256 because his Normandy campaigns all got that uh, impacted, right? So, Does that give you a heads up on that? Um, not formally, I would say no. I mean, if you're working off of, you know, one of the alpha releases, you might see it, but uh I don't. I don't know. Did you guys get told about anything? No, I, I think it only happened between one point five and two point five, or two point. Oh, was it when we had time to do that? Agreed. Yeah. When we were when we were going up to two point five, we had that alpha, so we could we could uh, diagnose. But there was an issue with that, in which mm. the speed trees were always moving from day to day between their builds, and I would I would fix the mission, and then I would send it to ED. Yeah. And I would check it, and all the trees had shifted, so I'd have to fix stuff again. And it was a daily occurrence until yeah. they finally started kind of knocking down how the trees were going to position themselves. That was probably one of the most difficult transitions that I've had to do. Um, but what you said, Saber, is uh, it, it, it's true in my court as well. There's um, even I've got one campaign, but there's kind of two campaigns in it, one mm -hmm. for the MiG-15, one for the F-86. There's a lot, what is it, like 44 missions between the two. Yeah. And I can't, I don't always have time to to test every single mission every time a new build or a new patch or a new update comes out. So I rely heavily on people giving reports through the forums as to, to mm -hmm. what happens because it's just, it's not feasible to be able to continually test every mission and then live your life on the side mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, it's too bad we don't have like automated or sanity testing or something that we could run in the background, right? You know, have a bamboo build or something that'll just run that, run all the, uh, the 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 tests for you. But uh, yeah, so yeah, we don't do we uh, likewise. We we wait to see if users complain, and then if they do, we we jump on it right away and try and get a fix in for the next patch cycle. So it hasn't been too bad. Uh, I am worried if we do get to you know too large a set of missions, though that. It might become unmanageable, and I might have to hire some people to come and work for us officially, just watching uh, forums and uh, making mission changes. But you know, hopefully, it won't get to that. I uh, think the good thing is that whatever you use in your mission, even if they update it or change it, the, the old stuff still works. Mm -hmm. They kind of add new stuff, but don't necessarily override the old one. So, I mm -hmm. uh, like models of, uh, let's say, you know, they removed the. Uh, trigger aerobatics, I think, mm -hmm. completely right now. But I guess it still works in the old campaigns. So if you had it, it still works, but you just cannot use it in the new ones. Yeah. Maybe it'll return, I hope so, because it was pretty useful. Yeah, we had a mission in our advanced training campaign that where you, the player has to drop a flare you know, on a target, and they used to have the bomb in zone uh, trigger, right, that used to work with flares, and then one time they just decided, no, I guess a flare isn't a bomb, so we couldn't use that. We had to come up with a different way to figure out where the player was flying when they pushed the, the pickle button. I think there's now a signal flare in zone. Check that one out, Saber. Okay, yeah, I'll check that. It was working fine perfectly, and then all of a sudden one day, sorry, that doesn't work anymore. They decided to change it, so okay. I think the most difficult thing with some of the missions that we do with the updates is that each patch, each update, each, uh, whatnot, it seems that ED will tweak the AI aircraft in such a way that they won't behave how we had initially anticipated them to do. So in one of my missions where an AI aircraft needs to launch a, uh, a Magnum to take out a SAM, well, all of a sudden he's become really timid and he drops his, uh, his ordnance and flees. 
but in previous versions, he did it properly and would fire at the target. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's that evolving thing that we have no idea what is going to be introduced in a patch that I, th I think is most difficult because it can completely break a mission. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing is the wingman, the AI wingman, it's, uh, especially for A10, they can be so unreliable and so bad in spotting or attacking anything. And that's one of the main issues people have with, with any within is that the wingmen are usually not useful at all. And in the Raven 1, what I'm doing, I actually don't use any of the AI wingmen. I'm just using a separate flight that flies as a wingman and follows you. So you have less options or orders you can give him, but at least when you do give an order by F10, you know it will work. And it works pretty well. Yeah, we found uh, with the A10 wingman uh, the saddle connection. If you can send the targets to them and they're and they're close enough, to, that would be pretty reliable for the most part. But uh, but yeah, if you're too far away from the target and that, then they, they they can't see it. And even if you send them through the data link, you know that they still have problems. So it's not perfect, but at least I, I'm really pleased to see Ed is continuing to work on the AI. Like the dogfighting, I think got changed recently and. Some people have reported that they saw some improvements to it. I, I noticed in our aggressor campaigns, we noticed that they weren't always doing the boom and zoom, you know, <laughs> that they were trying some different tactics and that, which was pretty good to see. So the more lifelike they can make it, I heard that they were going to try and introduce like G-forces and, uh, you know, blackouts on the AI and things like that. So they wouldn't be so uh, unbeatable, but uh, that would just make it, you know, more realistic for people, which I think is really good. So I think it's a work in progress, like a lot of the stuff is, but... Uh, you know, I think of where we were 10 years ago and where we are now, it's, it's a huge improvement, not just in the graphics capabilities, but everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I'm looking yeah. forward to the future because it's really getting better and better. And uh, from our point of view as mission developers, it gives mm -hmm. us more options. That's great. Mm -hmm. Sure. Every, really time, every time a new update comes out, usually the first thing I do is, well, obviously, I click Mission Editor. But I go, I go in and I see, well, what, what kind of conditions or what kind of triggers or, or what actions may have changed, uh, what's mm -hmm. new. Because I find that that's really exciting for me in the position I'm at because it gives, it gives us more options of what we can create, uh, different avenues we can go. Yeah, I'm really hoping that they implement some ways to manage the AI with like greater ease. So you can say, I want this particular area to be your patrol zone. If something comes in here, you go and engage it. I don't want to have to deal with the triggers to set that up. Often I find the uh, the AI very, very quick and, uh, oh, shiny thing, and they chase after it and run across the map and attack the AWACS. So I find myself <laughs> removing their, their rules of engagement to hold fire, you know, no evasive action, stay in your zone. <laughs> then when the enemy come to you, then you get slept off the leash and you can finally act freely. But it's just, it's, it's like wrangling cats trying to get the AI to work for you. <laughs> yeah, same thing, but then you, you, uh, you have the threat of once they do that, well, then they're going to go after the AWAC anyway. Yeah. You have to put a timer on them. So they said, okay, you've been fighting for 20 minutes. Go home now. I think if we had to discuss, uh, I know you had mentioned it earlier about a limitation with the, uh, with the mission editor. And I think what Red Kite said there, for me, is the biggest limitation of them all is the unpredictability of uh, AI aircraft. Yeah, I guess the other limit we're starting to see is the uh, number of units in a mission, right? And when the FPS starts to drop. I'm think, very experienced uh, on that one. Yeah. I mean, we're working right now on a red flag mission. It's got, I guess, 200 or 300 units in it. And uh, yeah, we're finding the FPS to be a bit challenging with that There's right now. Interesting to... problems and solutions with the AI, in particular the ground units. If, they, if you have a group of 500 tanks in one group, 
it will absolutely demolish your computer. You'll freeze for a couple of seconds at a time. 500 single yeah. units on their own, just one group, one unit, 500 times. If it performs so much better because they don't have to figure out their formation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they're much better better at path, pathfinding too. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. No, it's lots of those little things that that if you can find, and it's it's just incredible. But that comes with with the experience, I guess, and and sitting and, and this habit of clicking mission editor every time you launch the CS. That's where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, I think guys, I think it's we should slowly start wrapping this one up. Uh, so and let's oh. agree to continue in the next episode. Uh, maybe let's put something in between to see if what direction is from the people, what questions they might pose, and we could also spend some time answering those. Um, so thanks a lot for all that. I don't know if you have anything to add at this at this stage. I really uh, appreciate you guys inviting me on. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with everybody. Uh, honored to have been uh, been a part of this. Thank you. Yeah, likewise, uh, Baltic. Thanks for including me, and uh, appreciate it. And uh, a shout out to every, you know, all the players and all of Ed and everybody involved in DCS. Uh, it's a great hobby. I never thought I'd be at this point in my life playing this flight sim the way it is. And I keep saying to myself, it's a million dollar, you know, flight simulator in my office. I can't <laughs> believe it, you know. So yeah. absolutely, thank you, everyone. Thank you very much, guys. And what we can do, we can also reach out to one or two other. Uh, third-party devs so we can make it a bit bigger wider and uh, i propose let's let's cover more multiplayer more dynamic campaigns and whatever we might want to talk about later on i, th I still feel there's lots of area to cover for us yeah and i think i think you got a good idea so if the if this airs uh in this part and people have questions i think that'd be great to do a uh a q a or something with us a follow-up yeah for sure yeah count me in i'd be happy to help great any other, uh, do you guys, just a quick question now, I mean, do you guys have anything on deck that you're, uh, you know, in any type of new campaigns that you're going to, that you're working on now? Uh, I know BD's working on uh, Raven 1. Sorry, yeah, we have a bunch of things in the pipeline, but I'm not, uh, I'm not ready to say just yet. I, I'm, I'm, I guess our approach is more to wait until we're really, uh, everything's confirmed and committed before, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we advertise. So I would just say watch our blog for updates, maybe. That's the best thing to say then. Uh, for myself, I kind of took a, a break from the new development with campaigns, and I went uh, I went to creating a lot more um, free-to-play multiplayer missions that I have available. I plead the fifth. Maybe go the same route that uh, Saber went. Uh, I made mention earlier I do have something in the works. Uh, it has been delayed time and time again due to uh, work, kids, life. Um, but I look forward to uh, to working on that um, more in depth in the future. Is it life or wife? <laughs> <laughs> happy wife, wife, happy life, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have said both, but yeah, interchange them however you feel. <laughs> and on my end, I have a completely different approach, so I, I, I tend to be open or just talk openly about things I'm doing, which backfires sometimes because it yeah, usually gets delayed. But uh, at the moment, uh, Raven 1 is a big thing, and we're getting there. We're mission 13 out of 15, uh, yeah. at least for the like, basic building, voiceovers, etc. Then the Iron Flags with the A10 training campaign for the first part finally is moving forward. We had lots of delays because of real life. Uh, and Dowboy, who's been, who is kind of 
writing most of the script. He had problems with the hurricane and other things, but now he's, let's say, back on his feet, so we're working on that. And the Harry campaign, uh, which will be in two parts, the five missions that will be included in the module will be free, and we're most, more than halfway through it. And then additional 10 missions, which will be a DLC, but that's later on. But it's also coming together. So, yeah, busy. Okay. Yeah, I'm always oh. worried about the breaking the NDA. So that's kind of why we, we don't like to say too much. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, but guys, thank you very much. So uh, I'll say, I don't say goodbye. I'll say just see you around for the next episode. Uh, for those who have been listening, and if you have any questions or any ideas, uh, feel free to ask them on the Discord channel or on the Facebook page. You'll find everything in the uh, episode notes. And we'll come back to mission designing and mission building uh, next time. So thank you very much and see you around. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Okay. Thanks for listening to Air Combat Sim. Don't forget to subscribe or tell a friend about it. You have a question? Idea for an episode? Or a special guest you'd like us to invite? Feel free to reach out on Facebook, Discord, or via email. Air Combat Sim was brought to you by BVR Productions.